thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. You're listening live TV Sunday Social. We're just going to invite Omar in to speak. Um, today's show is all about slant engaging minds or mandatory listening. Um, a big shout out, of course, to our sponsors, John Cat's Educational. But for now, let's hand over to Omar. Good morning. Uh, good morning and welcome to the Sunday Social. Here today, we are talking about the very um, interesting conversation of slants. And the question is, is it engaging learning or mandatory listening? Okay, all right. So uh, my experience with slant, I actually do uh, work in a school where slant is part of the whole school culture. So uh, we use slant in every single class, every single lesson. And I do personally find that it does um, help with engaging learning. Um, I do find that it does um, support the learning needs of the students, they're able to focus, um, it builds up a proactive behaviour in the class and and so I'm not truly against the idea of slant, um, uh, in my opinion it, it's, it's a fantastic tool um, that's used, um, it, it promotes respectful communication, um, it can be used across all levels of students um, from the super um, high achievers to ones that um, may not be the, the highest achievers as well it means that they are focused on what i'm saying anyone that's here if you wish to talk on the pros and cons of slant remember that you can request to join as a speaker um in this conversation now what does slant actually stand for for those of you that do not know once again it was introduced by doug lemoff in the book um, teach like a champion the s stands for sit up straight the l stands for listen actively the a is ask and answer questions, N is nod and show interest, and T is track the speaker. Now, some people do believe that slant can be too rigid and also that it does not work for all students. Please, if you have something you want to say, if you want to share, um, now's your chance. Request to join a speaker. We have David here. Now, David, for those of you um, that don't know, David is from the north of England. He was formerly a middle leader at a comprehensive school in England with over 2,000 students. And he now teaches in a day six or um, also known as an alternative provision. Welcome, David. Hi there. Sorry about I didn't join on a mobile. I'm sorry for that. That's fine, but we've made it now. Um, can you tell us a bit about your background and experience in education? Yeah, of course. So um, prior to retraining in education, I had a range of different jobs in a number of different sectors and stumbled into lecturing at university where I loved education, trained as a teacher and, as you said, uh, started working at a large comprehensive in the north of England, 2,000 students. Um, and we set up an on-site alternative provision at that school. Uh, I helped with part of the teaching in that and I found that the most rewarding part. And just um, this year I've joined uh, Day 6 provision, so that's when students are permanently excluded, it's that allowance for six within six days, they need to be given a an education offer. So we're teaching permanently excluded students from uh, 
or key stage three within a, a certain uh, council district. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Really, really interesting there. Um, I could imagine there could be some big challenges. What are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered in the classroom and how do you address them? So I think um, a lot of them have massively low confidence and low self-esteem and that's demonstrated in a lot of ways. So a lot of it is through the acting out. You see, there's a lot of um, undiagnosed needs. So we do end up sending a lot on neuro pathways to get diagnosis for autism, ADHD, get them uh, started on the EHCP route because it's been, frankly, it's been missed in early years and through their early time at secondary school. Um, and the biggest challenge really is just, um, I guess, treating every student as an individual and giving that bespoke thing, which to be fair, you can do in a smaller school like like we are much more easily than in a 2000 school. But I do strongly think that there are some of the techniques we use that would be much more applicable in a mainstream setting. Okay, fantastic. Now, uh, we are here to talk about Slant. I have just introduced Slant. Um, once again, for those people that, that had missed it, it's a technique introduced by Doug Lemoff. Um, it's about sitting up straight. S stands for sitting up straight. L stands for listening actively. A, ask and answer questions. N, nod and show interest. And T, track the speaker. Now, I'm, I'm to believe that you are a Slant sceptic. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I think everything that you said it does, I... I'm not going to dispute because you're doing it in the classroom. But I think uh, the concerns that I have are about um, some of the uh, potentially unseen in the classroom knock-on impacts that that can have. Um, so really, the, there's two major concerns that I have with it. One is superficial compliance, which is that we get students who are following it in the classroom and in school to uh, get an easy life to get through it but we're not making a trans transformation in that young person's life they're not buying into it in their life they're just buying into it on a surface level to get through school yeah um, I, think, I think that could be a fair point I mean when when I first started working at this school um, it, I thought it was quite extreme when I started um, but it has grown on me as a tool um, to because students they are engaged um, when when they're listening. Uh, I just want to ask you a quick question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you have you observed a classroom where slant the slant technique is being used? And if so, what do you notice about the behaviour in the environment of that class? So I've not observed it where slant has been used per se. I've seen similar techniques. The um, that are from my understanding from the teach like a champion stuff mm. in certain classrooms. And it's, there's, I, I totally accept what is being said in terms of what is going on in the classroom that I'm not going to dispute. I think there's people with expertise. So if people say students are on task, students are uh, quite respectful, all of those things, I'm not here to dispute that at all. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, one thing, just in terms of this superficial compliance, what I did was I took some uh, crime stats. So I looked at antisocial behaviour. Uh, 
in areas surrounding slant schools and in areas uh, surrounding restorative practice schools. So within a one mile radius of the school, obviously it's correlation, not causation, but I found it interesting. So obviously very famous school in Wembley with strict behaviour policies, which I know uses slant, open since 2011. Now, these stats are taken in a five-year period from 2015 to 2019. So this is after ASBOs were repealed, so a change in reporting style of antisocial behaviour. And up to the start of pan the pandemic, because uh, COVID breaches were wrapped up in uh, reporting for antisocial behaviour. So it just clouds it, so it wouldn't be a fair judgment. But that strict school in Wembley had a 19% rise in antisocial behaviour within uh, the local area, within one mile of that school over those five years. Uh, another school in London, I don't want to use names, but I can provide the stats on, on request, no problem. So a 0% rise in antisocial behaviour, so it stayed flat uh, across uh, the five years. But then to look at uh, a couple of uh, secondary schools that use restorative practice. Um, so the secondary school in Corby in Northamptonshire saw a 19% drop in antisocial behaviour in the one mile around the school. Secondary school in Leeds saw a 30% drop in antisocial behaviour in the one mile. And its sister school also in Leeds, but on the other side, saw a 24% drop in antisocial behaviour in the one mile around. So again, I acknowledge it's correlation, not causation, but it's an interesting correlation that that I would say warrants a further look into and on the surface would support this idea of superficial compliance that what we're seeing in the classroom isn't transforming them outside of the building. So so once again, just, just to kind of understand the point that you're making here, you're saying that you believe that students, when they do slant in the classroom, they just comply superficially just at that moment. But actually, when it comes to um, developing habits that they need for the greater society, your argument is that actually maybe um, it's, it's not performing in that aspect and actually might be a hindrance. Is, is, is that the argument that you're making? Ab absolutely. And I think that, you know, in any workplace outside of education, uh, employees don't use slam. It's not a life skill. I think it is to make and they, it appears that it's to make the teacher's life easier because it classroom control is clearly there. You yeah. can deliver the learning. But I believe that education is a holistic thing. It's not just can we get the lesson content? Can we get them this paper qualification? It's how can we holistically make these students ready for the real world? OK, and and, and just to kind of I'm going to obviously have to play devil's advocate here. Um, on the other side, um, some people would argue that actually it does prepare students for the real world because, you know, when you're at work, if you're talking to your boss, if you're in a team meeting, um, those skills that are developed by slant, let's say track the speaker, um, you're not fiddling with something, um, your, your, your attention is fully devoted to that person talking, actually can be good life skills to gain um, in those very formal meetings that you could have in the future. Uh, what would you say back to that? I think that for small bursts, I can see that being a useful skill. I'm going to, with the caveat that I'll come on to later about 
uh, neurodiversity and things, which I think can also be overlooked. But just taking it as read, yes, there are situations where that could be socially more acceptable. But those kind of meetings aren't from 8.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon, hour after hour after hour. So would it be worthwhile having that in an assembly, in a lesson, during a tutor time? OK, maybe I can get on board, but every single lesson, I don't think that is a realistic view of the world. OK, um, you, you spoke about restorative practice, and I'm really interested. Um, what do you actually mean by the term restorative practice? This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! So, th there are a few different uh ways of looking at it so in the main i'll i'll use the nurture definition which is that uh we look at how the child's uh uh behavior should be understood developmentally so each child is at a different point and a different pace of development the fact that in the same classroom we can have somebody who is essentially a year older born 1st september and someone else born 31st of october august the following year there is a differential there in maturity and development and growth and this idea that we can treat them identically i think i think is you know on the surface farcical i think also there's um all behaviour is communication. So when a child acts in a certain way, they are communicating a need. Now, sometimes that need is for discipline. And I think that's something that I think mainstream, including myself early in my career, would balk at that idea that, uh, are we just saying that every child who's behaving badly has a problem we need to fix? No, sometimes it is that student needs more boundaries and more discipline. But I also think sometimes mainstream can go completely the other way and say every behavioural outburst needs response of discipline and treating us as a behavioural problem rather than a, a communication of a need that they don't have the emotional language uh, to discuss. OK, that's a fair point. I think um, one of one of the arguments someone might make is actually by... Okay, so you've got a class of, let's say, 30 students, um, a full class, and you've got one or two students that's having these um, behavioural outbursts. How would you tackle that type of situation? Because if, if you're having one or two low-level disruptions into the class, that actually can have an impact on all the students in that class. So so what would you say in terms of the reflect, uh, responsive, sorry, response, restorative sorry, practice, what would you say you would do in that kind of situation there to support that teacher? So the ideal situation is that you would have um, a senior leadership team and a mid middle leadership team who are able to pick students up in a very fast on-call system because removing that child from the situation, that allows easy access for a disclosure maybe. It allows that student to be removed to stop disrupting the rest of the lesson, but then also do a bit of a triage to work out, is this student needing to... Uh, vent something uh, is there a genuine problem or is it this student needs to have that discipline and there is no one in a better position to do that than 
a member of a, a leadership team to be able to do that. And I think once Sorry. once you are building up those relationships with students, once there is a trust there, a lot of the badly behaving students do respond to that. And it does take time and it does take effort. But and I don't think it's this you know, make up a handshake for everybody at the door that we might see on social media. But if a child genuinely believes that you care and have their best interests, and the best way to do that is by genuinely caring and wanting their best interests, because students are attuned to that. They can see the teachers that really deeply care and those who, frankly, and there are some in schools who just treat it as a job, then I think that those relationships do build and that low-level behaviour drops as they respond to what you are putting out. And I don't think you can fake that. I don't think you can fake that through pretending to put a smile on and pretending to care, but I also don't think you can fake it through a, a stringent, strict behaviour management programme that enforces it. Okay, so I, I, I see that argument there, but again, my question to you is, um, so I'll, I'll relate it back to my school. Obviously, my school yeah. does, does use slant. Um, but I, we also have restorative practice in place. So uh, after the lesson, if, if you've sent a student out of the class, um, you're then set to have a restorative conversation with that student, you know, to kind of refocus that attention back to the learning. Um, do you not think that there is room for there to be restorative practice and slant in the same school? So that goes on to kind of a wider societal question, which uh, I think... <laughs> I'm going to touch on the prison system there, which is that I don't know if you can truly have a um, a punitive and restorative uh, um, conversation alongside each other. And I think we see that in the prison system in terms of recidivism after release. And I think a lot of the time we do see those same students breaking those same rules over and over again. And there are some students for whom having a level of strictness in the school, they will comply because that is what they do. But there are some students who do rack up those internal exclusions, external exclusions over and over because they can't meet uh, that level. And so I don't believe personally that conversation can truly be restorative because we are not then giving, they still, or a group of them still, don't have the societal tools, don't have that that ability to meet what we are asking them to do. So we haven't restored anything. I think so um, in terms of language, we know from research that students from cer certain backgrounds are exposed to fewer words from reading, from their parents reading to them, and that their vocabulary is lower. We also separately know that people with a higher vocabulary are much better at expressing and processing emotions. Research has shown us that as well. But in education, we very rarely draw that link that these students who have a low vocabulary also lack those emotional tools to deal with things because of that low vocabulary. Okay. Um, I'm just going to take a minute here to just um, uh, to tell you that this is just, just general for the audience, that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Education, a leading producer of books, um, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Um, have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advice.
advance um, your own professional um, development today. So I'm going to draw it back um, to slant again. So we've, we've yeah, kind of turned um, a bit, bit wide there. Some, uh, by the way, I just want to also mention to the people that are listening here today that um, if you want to join the conversation, feel you can feel free. Just send a request to join as a speaker. Now, I'm going to pose you another question again. Um, some educators argue that slant can stifle creativity and independent thinking in students by promoting a rigid set of classroom behaviours. How do you respond to this argument and how do you promote independent thinking in your own classroom? So, I, from my perspective, I think that there is a potential of that for slant. I think, as, as mentioned before, I've not been in a slant classroom. And I think that you as a slant user would be better placed to to say whether you feel it it does stifle that creativity. Um, I'll, I'll respond slightly to the second one. For me, the creativity is through the spontaneity. I think that for me, lesson planning uh, isn't a minute to minute thing. It is a, a where do I want to get to? And then using the students to draw out different perspectives and sometimes we end up somewhere else than my original intended outcome but often uh, it's been more valuable for the students because I've responded to what they're interested in related to the subject like a like a, a field with fences around the outside they can play in the field as much as they want when we get to those edges where we're totally off topic I bring us back in again I totally accept that's much easier in a classroom with six or seven students uh, than a class of 30. Yeah. But um, that, that would be my perspective on getting the creativity in my setting. But I guess I'd ask you, how do you feel that the, the spontaneity or, or that uh, freedom for expression is in slant? Um, I think I think personally, the spontaneity and freedom of expression kind of comes down to number one, when you're planning your lessons, how much have you planned in the idea that you want students to think? I think that kind of ties into, you know, the, by the questions that you ask. So obviously you have the questions orientated around, let's say your tier three. I'm a science teacher, for example. So I might have my questions orientated around um, tier three vocab, but also during that lesson, I want students to think. I might set them a scenario where I want them to think. And I can do turn and talk. I can do cold calling um, after, let's say, giving them thinking time. So I think that's how, even in a slant classroom, I wouldn't argue that it stifles creativity. I would argue you just have to really think about the format of how you're trying to get students to think independently in that classroom. Uh, we do have another speaker here, um, Mr. Zaman. Uh, did you have something you wanted to say on the topic? Yes, uh, thank you for letting me in. Um, it's very interesting actually listening um, to your um, <clears throat> presentation, both of you. And uh, it's, I know it's a much, dis, uh, much discussed about subject. And I think for, for, for me, I think sometimes we, we could get carried away from speaking to colleagues um, in different schools. I think the word slant um, it has this funny distaste to a lot of people. And I think if we get away from the acronym SLAM, um, perhaps um, I, I can see some questions being asked what does SLAM stand for? Um, I'm not sure, Omar, if you've explained, sitting up straight, listening attentively, asking or answering question, never interrupting and tracking the speaker. It's an ac acronym often used by many schools taken from the uncommon schools practice in America, um, which, which sort of 
um, expect students to uh, develop the pro-social behavior for active listening, uh, respectful engagement, um, participation, um, and being inclusive um, about the whole uh, participation, positive role modeling, and so on and so forth. I think if you get away from that, the question ultimately we should be asking is, what do we want children to do in the classroom when, when the adult is addressing them? And if we can answer that question, I think whether you slant or another cue, um, I think that, that hopefully there will be an agreement. So the last time someone said, you know, we don't want to use slant because it takes away, you know, number of uh, reasons that you, you know, you're, you're discussing. My question thrown back at them was simply, okay, when a adult in the classroom wants to address, say, 30 students in the class or 25 students in the class or indeed 10 students in the class, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to multitask? Do you want them to, um, uh, do, I, will we accept low-level disruption? Um, or do we want them to listen to the instruction, listen to the explanation? And the last point about being creative, and I think all of us, we agree, we want our children to be creative, our students in the classroom. But then again, how, how, how are we equip, equipping them to be creative? If, they're not, if we're not imparting knowledge and if they're not listening to us and taking on uh, important things that we are asking them to take note of, how can they then afterward be creative in the way they do things? Um, so I think slant is very important for us uh, and for, my, um, for our organization, for example, in, in the Community Schools Trust is something that we have implemented over the last few years. And one thing I would say is that it has transformed behavior in all our schools. And we've got, we know, a small trust. We've got about um, six schools at the moment. Um, and just by using slant, we have pretty much eliminated the low-level disruption that we used to see. And we used to accept, frankly speaking. Because my question to any teachers who teach a class, and when I go into the classroom and I see that they are talking, but I see one or even two students who are multitasking or not listening, um, looking on the ground or maybe writing something, and they're explaining something so important. The question I'm asking is, is very simple. Are they listening to you? And what do you think is going to happen when they're going to do the task or when they, when they will do the all important exercise that, that will follow after your explanation? So it's about expectation as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, David, do you have a response? Yeah, I think I, I totally take on board your point that I think that when the teacher is needing to deliver important instructions, we do want the students to listen. I think my main issue with slant is that it isn't taking into account that some people don't listen in the same way as others. So some people do have, I'm going to go with neurodiversity just because that's a specialism. I've got two children with neurodiversity. I've taught with a lot of neurodiverse students. So the the particular things that I take issue with are the, the sit-up and the tracking the speaker. Uh, the The sitting up part, there are students who, stim as part of their neurodiversity stimming is where you do a repetitive action in order to alleviate tension and often so well i don't want to generalize because again one of my big things is every student is an individual and should be treated as such and generalizing for neurodiverse students isn't something that's that i want to do either but there are commonalities that is in the literature um stimming such as 
either fiddling with a pen or tapping a leg or moving can be a way of alleviating the tension and stress that comes from suddenly having to be silent and the expectation that's put on that student. Uh, similarly, the tracking the teacher is well known. One, one of the things that a lot of neurodiverse people uh, struggle with is eye contact and that uh, tracking the speaker can actually be... Um, it, there's uh, some research from a couple of years ago uh, that shows that actually what it can do is produce an uh, abnormally high activity. It's, this is from 2017, abnormally high activity in the amygdala. So it shows a heightened response, a fight or flight response when forced to track a speaker and attract the eyes of somebody. And so what we're doing is forcing these students to mask that. We're forcing them to hide that to sub uh to push that down and again the masking that a lot of neurodiverse people discuss and talk about and we've done research into uh causes heightened mental health problems a uh, heightened rate of suicide in adults through those requirements to mask so my issue isn't getting people to listen it is the methods we use to get the students to listen okay um i'm just gonna uh, just say again so um here let us communicate um has written the comment that says how does slant work for cyp diagnosed um with special needs such as asd dyspraxia um, and sensory processing disorder now i i kind of i have students in my class that do have um, scnd and one of these students have adhd and the way that i've found that i incorporate that with slant is that I gave that student a fidget toy. Now, I don't think, I think it depends on how rigidly you see a school using the system. I don't personally think there's any issue with that student having a fidget toy if I need to um, differentiate for that student's need. I think, I think that's another argument of slant. I think maybe it depends on how kind of rigid you are in the use of it. Um, so, um, Mr. Zaman, did you have um, a comment to say back yeah, to that? Yeah, I mean, just as a last point. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I think we've got to be inclusive in the classroom. I, and, and I think good teachers, great teachers, um, we have various data on um, students and, and, and their sort of um, difficulties and challenges they might face. So I think if, there's, if there are particular students in there who might require your spe special attention or their exception to the norm, fair enough, you need to consider that. That's with anything, any anything that we do in the classroom. But I think these are exception to the norm. And you know, a lot of us who work in a in a school, in a large school setting, we know what goes in, in the classroom. And I think what we're trying to address here is that what exactly do we do um, as adults when we want them to listen to us in the classroom? I mean, if you look at the amount of time that gets wasted because of low-level disruption, and I'm not even going near the some of the high-level disruption that we probably see in some schools. One of the schools we went to, for example. Um, we took over around about uh, five, six years ago. Frankly speaking, the corridor, the classroom, students weren't learning. It was highly dangerous. And the disruption in learning, if you accumulate the, 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 the minutes and the hours lost in learning over the years, um, is mind-boggling. It's only when we um, adopted the, the protocol of slant, if you like, and, and had a high expectation for the students to listen. Um, we, we, we suddenly see now students are indeed learning more and therefore they're making progress more. And we're making life, you know, the fact that we are addressing behavior in the classroom for them to, for them to learn um, has changed a lot of the students' lives. Now they're getting better results 
and they're going into better colleges and hopefully universities and uh, other forms of employment. Now, with regards to students who's, who may find difficulties in um, receiving instruction, we need to cater for that. That's a, that's a good argument to be made, but these are exceptions to the norm. Yeah, um, thank you for that. I, I, I want to, again, David, throw that back at you. How do we respond? How, how do you respond, sorry, to the removal of low-level disruption? You know, um, Shafika said, actually, he finds that we're able to remove, in, in the schools that he works with, he's able to almost completely remove low-level disruption in the classroom. Um, how do you respond to that? What, what strategies do you believe could be used in, in that particular situation if you're not using slant? So my read on it is, as you uh, alluded to before, um, slant comes from teach like a champion, Doug Lemmop, and I think that there, there's two ideologically opposed perspectives. I think a lot of teach like a champion is about you are the controller of the classroom and your role is to lead the students. You're in charge. You are the one who uh, they need to respect as the leader of the classroom. That's a, what a lot of the techniques are kind of pushing towards and I would argue that slant falls into that it's I say you do this you comply with that that I accept the adjustments uh, which is great to hear however I think that the the flip of that the reverse of that is saying that the students we are lifting them up we are as teachers are saying we're not better than you we are here which I'm not saying that you're saying through slant and teach like a champion, but I think that can be what can be interpreted internally by the students. We're lifting you up and we are finding ways that we can connect with you as a human and recognize you as a person and meet that need individually, which is harder in a class of 30, but still possible. So in terms of behavior management, it is through um, I, allowing the students to see that respect that you have from them, uh, allowing um, students to feel able to ask questions. Not Sometimes they shout out. Sometimes some of my students that have had issues shouting out, but I always take that question and instead of uh, saying, refusing to answer it because they've shouted out, I say next time, don't shout out, please raise your hand or whatever, but also answer that question, go with them on that journey. And I think that some, I don't believe that every minute of every lesson needs to be towards giving that student progress within the lesson. I think that there is room, these are still young people understanding their role in the world. So at my mainstream, I taught computer science and sometimes they'd ask something that, about something that happened in the news. And going on that journey actually helps them understand that you are interrelating with them, that you're not this alien and that you can support them in that understanding. And I found that actually they, my low level behavior issues were minimal by um, the first half term in. And when there were issues, as I've said, having a good SLT who support you in removing somebody who is producing excessive disruption to do that intervention to work out what's going on there um also supports that okay <clears throat> thank you very much for that uh, i again do just want to say to the people we've got many people listening today um if you do want to join as a speaker just send a request and we will add you in now going back to um so obviously once again i use slant in my classrooms 
And I find actually that, you know, what helps with behavior management um, is if you want to try and build, you know, positive relations is establishing one of the main things is you establish what's the norms, you know, around your class. What is the norms? What are the boundaries? I would say, you know, if, if straight away off the bat, my norms and boundaries is that we slant in this class. Um, I, I find that actually it doesn't it doesn't tend to be a major issue in terms of behavior. Once you get past maybe um, the first week and, you know, you've had your restorative conversation, you've spoken to that student, you've said to them, OK, you know, this is how it is in the classroom because we're orientated around the learning and, and we're centered around the learning. And if I communicate kindness in the way that I speak, um, and but I'm, I'm assertive but warm, you know, the, the Bill Rogers kind of approach to behavior where I'm the, I am the adult in the room, it, it doesn't tarnish that relationship that I have with the students. You know, I think it comes it comes down to how you kind of portray that um, to the students in the classroom. You know, if you come and you use this slant as a draconian method to, you know, be authoritarian in the class and you're not establishing those, you're not doing the normal things that you need to do to establish those norms, establish the expectations in your class, um, then actually... You, you might find that if you use slant or didn't use slant, you still have, you know, the same type of issues. It's just slant could be um, seen as more authoritarian if you don't have a teacher that is good at, you know, just a general kind of building positive relationships in the class. So, you know, my argument is I, I build very good relationships with my students, very positive relationships. Maybe an argument is that because my whole school culture uses slant, that helps. You know, maybe if I was in a school that only I was the only teacher in that school that used slant, it would be more difficult. But again, with building good behavior management in the class, having a good signal is really important. You know, having a cue for the students that actually now is the time that you need to pay attention is really important at getting that attention very quickly. So um, what strategies would you have for someone in that regard? You know, because I would argue, number one, it is possible to build positive relationships. You just have to, again, you want to um, establish the norms, which I do with my slant. I want to communicate kindness, which I do with my, I, I just do in the way I talk. You know, I'm never, I, I don't really come in and I'm, I do see every student as an individual. And I would never come to a student and just like be, be rude for the sake of being rude. You know, I guess you could argue that in a system with slant, that is possible, but I don't do that. And I find that I build good relationships, even though I am building slant. So my question to you is, um, if, 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 if taken from my experience, um, do you think that it's possible to build good relationships with students if you do have slant? And number two, um, uh, I've actually forgot my second question, but I'll come back to it in a second. What, what do you think about that? So I, I do believe that it is possible just by the language that you use and positively framing things and establishing the routines. It is possible to develop good relationships and positive relationships with the students? Uh, firstly, all of that's wonderful to hear. And I think um, when you, any teacher who works hard to build those positive relationships is doing their best to be a good teacher, regardless of what techniques they're using. Um, one question I'd have before I fully answer that, when your students are on a task, are they allowed to talk with each other? Um, or is it silent working or slant or how does your classroom feel between tasks? Okay, so um, if, if I, I front load every instruction that I give. So if my means of participation is that I want students to um, 
talk, then they will have that chance to talk. And there are times through the lesson that there are turn and talk activities or, or working a group activities um, that that are that orientate around the way my lesson is. You know, if I think it's a higher order question or I want the students to communicate, you know, their answers to each other, then that is their chance to talk. However, um, if, it's, if I get to like an end of the lesson, I have like a, a, an extended independent task. And during that independence task, the expectation is that they don't talk to the students next to them because I want to know what they're actually able to achieve on their own. I think I think that kind of comes down to how I front load the instruction. You know, there are times when they can talk, but there are also extended periods when, when they're not supposed to talk. If they have something to say, their hand goes up. You know, that's that's how it is in my class. That that's good to know that just for the context, so thank you. I think my my belief is that just as every student is an individual, every teacher is an individual. And I think every teacher's personality is different. So for for me in in capturing the attention of a class and keeping it, I use a lot of voice modulation, or at least did it mainstream. So being very quiet for one word, then really elevated volume for another, and that modulation helped break it up for students and I found that worked really well for me and I think that one of my concerns with slant especially across a whole school is I do think it removes some of that individual uh, leeway for teachers to use their personality you to use one of their biggest strengths as a teacher in the way that they communicate with the students and I think it sounds like you've found a perfect blend for your classroom of the, here is a, a baseline level of um of what i expect in the classroom but i've got the warmth i bring that with me and and if that works for you in your classroom fantastic my extended concern is that that isn't me that isn't how i would build relationships i can't fake that i couldn't use that slant as a behavior management especially as written i do appreciate people are making the exceptions and so on but i couldn't use that and still be a good teacher because I'm I'm cutting my hamstrings at the start of the race. I can't do that. I've got a not, lot of neurodiverse traits. I need the the buoyancy. I need the uh, rhythm that I can get through a bit of spontaneity, which from the sounds of it, it doesn't offer. Whereas I think other people would never be able to do what I do in a classroom because they need more structure. They need, and and I don't think either is wrong. And I think... The reason why I've been so vocal about slant, and I think what you saw and hence invited me on, is that there is this thing of slant is everyone should be using slant. That's what I've seen as the discourse. And I really want to push back against that. If it works for you in your classroom, great. I stand by my concerns about um, about the the superficial compliance and how it might have a knock on impact in the compute community. I stand by my concerns about. Uh, the damage it can cause to neurodiverse people but I'm not in your classroom so I can't judge that but it's that we this school is going to do it across the board teachers don't have any discretion for how they manage behavior within their room I, I think that's an issue okay and um, I take that on board but again I, I post to you the, the kind of idea that in my school um everyone uses slant and I think that's what allows it to be easier for me to use as a tool whereas if it was just me using it in that class on my own I would argue that actually it, I, I believe actually I would struggle so much more because for students they're like wow this is crazy like it's not part of the school culture 
and therefore actually if, if if teachers did want to use it on their own they'll struggle i think um shop oh, yeah. should be say here yeah omar i'm sorry i i, I was um, i couldn't hear a lot of the um discussion because of some technical issue but i think i got the gist of your last point if you can hear me um, I think mm-hmm. this is a very, very important point. I think one of the things we want to establish with our students, um, with young, young, young people in general, is um, a, a good habits. Okay, so we talked about the, the benefits of pro-social behavior. A lot of our students do not know how to listen. Um, they don't, you know, they um, how to be respectful to, to the adults uh, who speak to them in the classroom when they're meant to be listening. Um, so it's the... the, the when you have a when you have an approach, whole school approach to um, establishing a behavior that is conducive to an effective learning environment, essentially what you're doing is that you're making everyone else's life very easy. So often we get we get um, comments by um, agency teachers who sometimes come and teach in our school. Um, they're often surprised with the behavior, and we, we we tell them, look, you know, if you want their attention, just give them a cue, three, two, one, slam. It means that they will listen to you. Okay, without fidgeting. Um, so what, what, when they do use those cues, they're, they're often surprised compared to how students might treat them elsewhere in a, in, a, in a different school, for example. So I agree with you 100% that actually we are helping each other um, in, in different classrooms. Um, on all of us, we do uh, the same thing. In, 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 this, in this case, giving the students a cue for them to listen when they're meant to be listening and um, learn a very important knowledge we're trying to impart. And we are actually making teachers' life easy because then they can focus really on um, what they need to do the most in terms of imparting knowledge, important knowledge, without unnecessary disruption. Yeah, I think I think that's a really fair point. And I, I think, again, it comes down to if the concern is positive relationships, once again, this certainly establishes the norms across the whole school. And which is very important for building positive relationships. And I think maybe it, it comes down to, again, that teacher, are they communicating kindness in the way they speak? Even if they are using slant, are they communicating kindness? Are they learning names? Are they um, combining assertiveness, assertiveness sorry, with warmth? Are they the adult in that room? I think, I think taking away the positive relationships that you would build um, in the class it, 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 it that's dependent on the teacher. Have they gained the CPD for that? Yeah, Omar, can I just come in here? I think you're right. And again, I visit a lot of classrooms. You know, part of part of part of what I do is I'm very very interested in the progress um, our students are making in the classroom because to me the, the main focus is learning, nothing else. You know, we you know in education there's lots of discussion about how best to approach learning in the classroom, and I'm I'm fine with that. You know, there, there's more than one way of skinning the cat if if you like. But, you know, mm-hmm. every school, they make a decision. And, you know, it seems like the debate here is about how do we get our students to engage? Whatever you, whatever you adopt, the main question is, okay, is it working and how do we know? So it's part of, part of what I do is when I, I do visit a lot of classrooms, and you would know. Um, and I see, and I see that actually it isn't one of those things that um, um, students either like or dislike. I think after a while they get used to it. It's a trigger. It's a trigger for them to listen. And great teachers, teachers, they have, they carry with them great personalities. They are warm, but they are strict. Okay, um, children know that they are the authority in the classroom, and they also understand the expectation is that they need to focus in learning and not anything else. And I think that's the gist of the spirit of what we're discussing here, aren't we? You know. And going back to my first point, it is that if you don't want to use the Q three to one slant, you do something else. But make sure students know when they should listen to, 
um, and when not. We should be in the control of um, the pace of learning um, in the classroom and not, not the other way around. Okay, um, I actually do have a question for you, Shav. Um, it says, uh, so, so you've said that you can, you know, you could tell that slant is effective. Other than the removal of, of um, low level disruption, how do you measure the effectiveness of, effectiveness of slant in the classroom? Like, what data do you have, do you use to evaluate the impact on student learning? Right, so there's, there's a number of ways you can do that. It's a very, it's a very good question. Um, so if I go into a lesson, <clears throat> um, depending, on, depending on when I go in, um, first of all, what are the telltale signs of children learning in the classroom? First of all, um, so imagine that the teacher is introducing um, the lesson. Okay, so we have, we have a framework. We got, if you like, uh, five distinct phases of the framework. Great um, start with the lesson where we, where we expect our teachers to explicitly reconnect what the students have learned previously. The next phase is introducing um, knowledge in bite size. Again, this is where we expect to see students paying attention, not disrupting or not doing anything else. Okay, and, and the teacher can have that interaction, but the teacher will lead. They will decide when to have that interaction, not, not the other way around. Then you have modeling because, you know, children need to see uh, what a good one looks like. Okay, the I do, the we do, and the you do. Um, so initially the I do bit is when the teacher, for example, demonstrates something without any interruption. The we do bit is when they collaborate. So when you scaffold um, the problem with the students, so they, you take them with you in, and, and, and they, you learn together. And then the you do bit is when the teacher is expecting for the students to be a bit more independent before moving on to the phase four, which is the uh, shared load of practice. Uh, independent practice from the students when the teachers go around to see if indeed students are learning and students are consolidating and practicing their learning. So checking for understanding is done throughout. So depending on when, I go, when, when we do go into the lesson, we can unpick A, the environment of that learning, it, whether or not it's conducive, and B, certainly if I go into phase four, I'll expect to see lots and lots of work being done as a result. Whereas, as opposed to, for example, if I walk into a modeling phase and the teacher is trying to model a very, very important sort of waggle, what a good one looks like. But then you hear, you see in the classroom, there's five students who are speaking among themselves, albeit quietly, or, you know, two of them are twiddling their thumb um, uh, and then maybe 10 of them listening attentively. Now, you've got a situation where um, you've got a lot of things going on. Not everyone's listening. So... You can imagine the progress or the lack of progress by certainly those students who are not listening that they might be making in the classroom. But ultimately, the ultimate measure of progress is what's in the book, right, at the end. And I've seen where even that has been disrupted because children almost immediately put their, put their hand up asking, sir, what do I do? We've all been there, right? And one of the main reasons why they say, sir, what do I do? Or miss, what do I do? Is because I haven't been listening in the first place. <laughs> right. So ultimately, the measure of impact, I would say... Um, is how much work they produce, um, assuming that the work is challenging, it, uh, is, is appropriate and relevant uh, to begin with. And then finally, of course, is, um, is, is the result they get at the end of the, you know, at the, end of the day. It's the grace they get. You know, we, can't, we shouldn't be shy of speaking about the result in, and, 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 and progress because um, in, in education, one of the best way, best way we could equip our children is giving them the, the, giving them the best possible result. And, and do you feel that actually by using slant in the classroom, this has had an impact on the results that you get? 100%. So I'll give you one example. Um, one of the schools that uh, belong to our trust, uh, Cumberland Community School, is in Newham. Um, in 2019, I mean, their progress rate was, um, 
I think it's minus 0. Uh, 0.447, you know, close to minus half, negative uh, half a grade um, compared to national. Um, we subsequently uh, addressed a number of things. One of the first things we've addressed is the learning environment. Okay, uh, we wanted our students to listen um, and, uh, and, and learn in the classroom. We minimized low-level disruption significantly. Um, then we had the COVID um, year, and we know, we know the disruption that brought forward. But despite the two years of COVID, um, our last year, our result uh, is a positive progress of 0.6, which is a significant and phenomenal improvement. Um, so that's the impact. Um, but whereas previously, the schools struggled, struggled with getting decent grade for, for the children um, in, in the community. Right now, um, the community is benefiting from another great school who gives them great results. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, just before I go back to uh, David again, I once again want to say that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Education, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out the latest um, releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatsbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Now, David, um, I'm going to now um, pass that back to you. We've obviously heard that actually, yeah, in this particular school, in this particular trust, there has been a great improvement um, in the grades that they've seen. Um, so they do have data to kind of support um, this. I guess in the argument that you might have would be actually, well, it's possible to get fantastic grades in schools that don't use slant. Um, but I'm going to give you the chance to voice that yourself. Uh, what do you feel about that? Uh, firstly, that's great news for the students at that school. And, well, any any trust that turns around or uh, any local authority that turns around a school is fantastic. Um, I think... You know, I, I won't labour the point too much, but you're right. There there are other methods that other schools have used to improve failing schools and the the outcomes for the students are important. I think I picked up on a couple of different phrases which uh, people have used just uh, during the last few contributions and I, I'll try and pick, pick up on them. I, I don't want to misrepresent or take out of context, but... I think one of the things you said I found interesting was if the rest of your school weren't using slant and you were to, your students might find it crazy. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of something that I think for me underlines the the artificiality that slant has the potential of having. And I think that there are other ways that one can command the room through I, I saw someone put it in the in the comments on the twitter space about the enthusiasm for the subject that there are things uh tied to the personality and to the way you hold yourself in the classroom that can produce the same results but not have that same feeling of artificiality and i'm not saying that your your classroom would feel like that if you use mm -hmm. slang but i found it an interesting point that I would agree. I think if, if I were in a school and one person were to use slant, the kids would find it a bit odd. And yes, throughout the school, it normalises it. But I don't necessarily agree that normalising something that on the surface is so unusual is positive for the kids overall. I think another thing that another speaker mentioned was that it makes... Oh, so one thing that I totally agree with, I would expect that slant would be much better for uh, supply teachers. I'm not going to dispute that. 
I think there are huge issues with embedding supply into a school. I think that having that routine and that technique that they can step in and use. And similarly for ECTs, I can see how that would be advantageous. And I think that there are issues with supply, which I think needs to be reformed completely. Um, but I don't think, and it ties in with the other sentence I picked up on, which is it makes teachers' lives easier. I don't think that should be the focus. I think teaching is a hard job to do right. Um, there is a huge amount of emotional pressure. You know, we've got kids' lives in our hands. Their, their future outcomes can depend on stuff that we say and do. Um, and I don't think that that making and i know that the speaker didn't say say this but i don't think making something easier should be a priority that should be hoped for and there are things that we can do but it should always be weighed up against what is it uh giving to to the students and i think that slant can give an artificiality that in the long term and as i mentioned right at the start in terms of community cohesion and what they take out of the classroom with them i don't think the stats bear that up as a positive um and the Sorry, so I just wanted to inter interject there. Um, yeah. and once again, there's a lot of uh, people listening today. Uh, you, the, the, the floor is open. Um, if you want something to say, if you have something that's on your mind, um, just uh, send a request and we can always add you into the chat. Um, I'm just going to quickly interrupt there because there's a lot of, of, of kind of points to pick and you made some fantastic points. I think going back to the idea where, you know, it is, I guess, on the surface, when you first look into a school, if you're not in a school from that culture, uh, once again, it could be unusual. And, and, and that that is is a good point to make there, I guess. Um, I think it's because, you know, it depends where your expectations and your standards are of those students. You know, when, when, when you think about school, when you think back to your memories of school, you might actually find that actually... And maybe this is from a perspective of someone that is in a school that uses slant. But I think you'll find actually there was a lot of messing around that used to happen in the classroom. And there were a lot of times when actually the, the, the lesson wasn't focused around the learning. And I think it comes down to the, the same idea of why why you slant then. And again, it's, it's, it, it comes down to the same points of maybe built, developing good habits that actually might seem artificial at the time. But actually, those are important habits for people to to learn and to use because again once they get to the um, area where they do need to have important meetings and stuff slant builds up the good habits and the proactive behaviors that you need um for that particular reason i'm uh, going to to cut in there if i may i'm really sorry yeah. to interrupt i'd i'd argue they build up good habits for somebody who will be a follower not a leader and it because they are traits of compliance not of leadership and i think that's something i think overall in education we have to be wary of that we want to produce students who can go on and not have a limit and these things are only important if we're expecting them to follow in others footsteps rather than lead from the front um, apologies yeah if, that's fine uh, my question to you is then what traits make someone a good leader and why would slant be a hindrance to those traits um, I think that um, good traits are confidence in one's own ability, uh, the ability to convey your own points well. I think um, the ability to speak up when something isn't right, to uh, 
uh, again, someone put it really well in, in the comments for this. Uh, somebody who can respect authority but push back against authoritarianism. And I think those are the kind of things where I don't think Slant does fully allow that that um, full expression. And I think you hit on the point yourself that, you know, in the past we've had students with great grades, low-level disruption maybe, but also talking around the subject as well because I don't think that, uh, again, another speaker said we should be in control of the pace of learning in the classroom and not the other way around. I I, I just, on a on a philosophical lesson, disagree with that. I think that the students should be in charge of the pace of learning. We can guide that, but some students need to spend longer on a certain thought. Some students need to explore around the outside to develop that fully rounded sense of self. But successful people have... Uh, have the ability not only in the classroom and in academia, but also in interrelationships with others, in the understanding nuance of empathy and things, which I think that the restorative approach, the nurture-based approach, where which is the angle I'm coming from, I think places at the centre more than teach like a champion more broadly, which slant is, you know, the aspect we're discussing today. Yeah, yeah. Um... Thank you for that. I just want to say, I, I I, personally think, going on the idea of leadership again, I think that a good leader is also someone that is able to listen. A good leader is also someone that's able to, you know, um, track, track the speaker when they speak. And I think that uh, coming to the argument of slant, I think slant doesn't necessarily remove that. Um, I think, um, sorry, Shof has opened his mic, so I'm guessing he has something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I think I think it might be my phone, but I think just the feedback. You know, when other speaker is speaking, um, I'm unable to hear anything. It's only when you speak, um, I can. Um, I'm able to listen. So I'm not sure if this is a technical part from 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 your part or, or it's just my phone. Um, can you can you hear me? By the way. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, that's right. So it's just when you speak, Omar. You know, I I can hear you, but when when our colleagues speak. Um, it's you know I can't hear anything. Just, just a quick feedback to you, but I think I think again just catching catching on from what you just mentioned about leadership, and I'm suspecting that there's a question mark on if we promote slant uh, to our students, then we're not um, we're doing something an antithesis to promoting leadership skills. Is, am I correct? Is that a question to D David? No, no, I'm, I'm asking because I couldn't hear, hear David. Is, is that what the um, the point that is made that we uh, slant somehow uh, doesn't promote leadership leadership skills? Yeah, I would. To, right. I would so, say look, to represent. Um, sorry, you know, I I, I I sit around you know a lot of leadership group meetings and what have you, and I, I can tell you one thing that annoys the hell out of me. Okay, is when people interrupt. Okay, just the simple things we take for granted. When and when anyone is speaking, okay, uh, you know, I, I attend uh, the, the governor's meeting, the board meeting, the, our various leadership group meeting, the middle leaders meeting. I think when is a, um, any meeting that is useful? Um, you usually have a chair, okay, who chairs and um, coordinates the meeting. We, we, we have this called, called the meeting maestro. You know, we have a host, um, we have agenda items set, and there's time allocated to the agenda item. And we've got to be quite succinct, but sometimes we can get carried away, right? And then agenda items can be missed, which can be quite um, frustrating. So I, 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 
a productive meeting, assuming again the agenda items are fit for purpose, is when, when someone is speaking, sometimes we can get quite heated, okay? But we must allow others to speak. That means we need to listen. But then listening skill is something that, you know, we need to develop from, from young. And we, we, we need to teach our students that. Like, you know, we need to literally teach them that. We can't expect them to develop that by themselves. Some might, but, you know, mostly this is something that, you know, we, we need to teach. Um, interruption. Okay, it's always annoying when someone interrupts. Certainly, you know, sometimes those of us who's got um, a lot more authority in the meeting, you know, the hippo effect, if you like, you know, sometimes they interrupt. But we sort of address that in our organization. That actually, you know, let the person finish before, before the chair says, okay, you can speak. So actually, it does promote great leadership quality. I've observed my um, board members, how they sit actually um, in the meeting. And funny enough, you know, they clasp their hand, a lot of them, as they're speaking. Right. A lot of us, we go to media training and we actually pay a lot of money to get media training. Right. So in the media, in media training, one of the things they say to you, actually, it is better that you don't fidget with your hand when you speak because it's a distraction. So so slant actually does promote a lot of skills that you need to be effective leaders. Can I just say, but if you can't hear one of the other speakers, you might want to restart the Twitter app and then rejoin the space as a speaker, and then hopefully that should resolve it. It's happened before. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, David, so I think going back to the the, the, the main idea here, um, have we lost... Oh, no, yeah. Going back to the main idea here is, um, I guess, um, some some people, uh, some arguments of slant um, for the benefit is that actually it helps develop good listen habits and improves um, comprehension on academic level but here I guess um, Shoff is arguing that actually um, it's it's it, it does support leadership because those are also good skills that are seen in good leaders um, what do you believe are the limitations of slant in this regard I think my main concerns would be that it's it's such a, a thin section of it. I think that the idea that people can only listen if they have their hands clasped, if they're facing forward, if they're tracking the teacher, I actually think is quite destru destructive on a societal level because it's continuing this um, uh, pushing out of neurodiversity and, and other uh, SEMH issues to the side. So I know lots of neurodiverse people for whom sketching and doodling is actually helping them listen because they have their brain is working so quickly that actually distracting it through one thing is helping them listen and i think perpetuating that idea that this is what listening looks like i think we need a societal shift on anyway and i think that as teachers in the classroom we should be um working the room after we've given our deliberate instruction and we can pick up on those students who we think need extra support or might not have listened properly and again you'll have to say but are there ever occasions where a child is sitting using slant but they're just disengaged they're not they're doing all of the things that are requested but actually they've been daydreaming does that ever happen in your classroom um i think it is possible to happen in, in the classroom i think i personally alleviate this um quite a lot by um because i use a lot of cold calling and a lot of mini whiteboards so i think for me it becomes very obvious when someone's not paying attention and that day is is i have to therefore say you know make sure you're paying attention i'm going to come back to you in a second i'm going to re-ask the same question 
in a suit. So it gives that student the chance to, number one, listen the second time it's said, but number two, it enforces the kind of expectation in that class where students do need to pay attention when I'm talking because I'm going to come back and I'm going to cold call. Um, Yeah. Did you have something to add there? Also, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's a, that's a that's a very so it's it's working now. I did actually leave, and it's working. I can hear people. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's a very good question. I think again, it comes back to the uh, you know good teachers and what we expect to see from good teachers in the classroom look like. So, you're right. I mean, what are the two alternatives? There are two alternatives there. You've got a situation where there's a low level disruption, people are fidgeting, and then you can actually you can ask the same question at that environment, at that scenario. Or you've got a situation where actually people are listening without fidgeting, without multitasking. Um, but a great teacher then would know who the students are sitting in front of them. So, for example, we've got this acronym called SAF. That stands for Sitting, Asking, um, Feedback. So we expect our teachers and we recommend, highly recommend our teachers to do, know your students. If you know there are certain students that they, they, they require over and above um, everyone else extra attention from you. Uh, for, for various reasons, okay? Know where they're sitting, provide them feedback over and above anyone else and ask them, encourage them. Now, on the question of asking, now, you know, as a, as a great te- teacher that you are, if you want to now call call or if you want to now ask a question to check for understanding against somebody who's faced, who may have some levels of uh, challenges with, with, with the way they receive information. Now, actually, I would argue that when you expect the whole class to listen to that child speaking you're actually encouraging that child to speak confidently and not to be scared of someone i don't know um making fun out of them often you would you would hear or heckle them so creating that environment that uh, that promotes respect for someone speaking when they're speaking i would actually encourages those people who might otherwise be quite scared to speak um uh, just a small small example I'm just gonna gonna interrupt here. Um, I will give you a chance to respond, David. But I also, um, we have Tamina ba- uh, Tamina here, who's who's been waiting patiently. Um, Tamina, did you have something you can introduce yourself, and did you have something that you wanted to add to the conversation? Hi, Omar. Thanks for inviting me. Um, hi, everyone. Yeah, so I'm an exec head uh, in Community Schools Trust. So I oversee uh, Forest Gate Cumberland and a UTC in Norwich. I was previously head. To- escape so <clears throat> I thought I would um, g- give the angle from someone who has experienced life in school without slant um, in a in a top performing school for escape so it's been in the top 50 nationally for a number of years uh, number one in the borough um, without slant and in 2019 when I became head uh, we introduced slant in in the school and for it took a little bit of soul searching for me uh, to justify why we would do that across a school where outcomes were really good and arguably the teachers you know taught well because the outcomes suggested so um can you hear me by the way or am i just speaking yeah, i can hear you personally okay fine i'll carry on um and so i think first of all the we had to uh, before I became head I'd I'd been at Forest Gate for about eight years and in various roles and part of that was teaching and learning and staff development learning walks and things like that so I had a pretty good idea of you know what what the climate was like what the the quality of teaching and learning was like because we've got an open door culture walking in and out so I kind of knew but I think it came to a point in 2019 where you know we'd visited really great schools and we and it took a level of recognition 
that actually, you know what, it could be even better. It's not like we weren't good. Clearly we were because the results were good. Um, but we could be even better. It could be even better. And um, that that recognition of low-level disruption, disruption existing or it being quite varied, depending on the teacher, um, we had to recognise that. So we introduced slant across the school. Um, and I think, you know, Doug Lemov in his the third edition of Teach Like a Champion, he explains it to a greater deal and focuses on habits of social behaviour, which really resonated with me and the teachers across our schools. And it's this idea that um, if you're not, you, you could you could create a climate in the classroom where there is a bit of heckling, a bit of mocking, a bit of banter, usually among the, the, the louder, more confident kids. But if we're using something, it doesn't have to be plan, it could be anything really, but we've opted to take this approach. Um, if we're using something that promotes a climate where when a child speaks, they are met with um, attention from their peers, appreciation, signs of respect, as opposed to not listening to them, ignoring them, their body language suggesting they don't care about what they're saying. Yes, teacher relationships are really important, but the influence that peers have on each other is so much more important and so much more powerful in creating a sense of identity, belonging, motivation for those students to do really well in the class. And I think that's how uh, Lebov tells it. And that's for our, for our, for our students. And last thing, my experience across the schools that we've we've introduced it to, it's well, well, really well embedded in, in Forest Gate now, for example, and Cumberland. In my experience, the students with um, additional needs, our, our neurodiverse students, they they excel with this. The, there's you know there's exceptions so there's some with really great needs that we'd have to make reasonable adjustments for but on the whole the vast majority of our students with additional needs uh, it, it's a safe thing for them to be able to be successful in those classes and again the outcomes for our SEND students um, speak for themselves as well on that. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Samina. Um, I just, I, I, I kind of, I'm going to give David the chance to respond to that, but I'm also going to kind of, I have to play devil's advocate here. And I want to go back um, to something that David said at the very beginning. And I feel like a lot of people wasn't here. Um, David, if you don't mind, you know, there was some statistics that you read out in terms of areas and schools that people did use slant. Um, I just think it'll be a very interesting kind of point to bring back up um, into the conversation at this point. Yeah, no problem. Um, strangely enough, I did look at Forest Gate School uh, stats for this anyway. Um, and Forest Gate uh, School, I don't know what year you introduced um, Slant. Actually, that would be quite interesting to know. What year did you introduce Slant at Forest Gate? It was 2019. Cool. Um, so the, the stats that that there were is is actually between 2015 and 2019 on antisocial behavior in the community um a, a rat within a mile of the school um i looked at all the schools that talked about slant uh and one of the most prominent ones uh in wembley uh saw a between 2015 and 2019 a 19 percent rise in antisocial behavior around uh the school 
taking Forest Gate Community School actually saw an 8% drop in that time. And if at that time it, it wasn't using slant, it doesn't go against my suggestion that actually when we use a um, a a different model other than slant, instead of seeing superficial compliance, we actually can transform a student's approach to uh to their behavior holistically um uh and then a couple of uh schools based in yorkshire saw a 30 percent drop in antisocial behavior within um uh one mile of the school another saw 24 percent drop a school in corby saw a 19 percent drop in antisocial behavior so really while I totally take on board correlation versus causation and all of the issues with statistics, uh, my suggestion is that with slant and with this, these are the routines you follow. We're embedding a routine, but we're not embedding a change in behaviour beyond the classroom, which a restorative approach focused on uh, changing what the changing the causes of behaviour can actually change the student's behaviour out in the community as well. Um, uh, and to, as, as I say, um, I've only got the data from 2015 to 2019, so I'm not going to impugn Forest Gate or anything like that. Um, and it's fantastic to see um, anybody who is improving lives for students, whatever methods they're using, I think is, is, is amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's that's that is that is quite an interesting point. Obviously, it doesn't quite apply for um, Forest Gate Community School because they 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 introduced Slant after the measures was made, um, and and they do achieve some very very fantastic grades. I think I've I've already kind of made the point that could it not be that restorative approaches can be used hand in hand with with slant i know that in in my school for example we have restorative conversations which which kind of build into that practice and and you did say that you know um it's kind of is is it you don't believe that it could truly be a restorative approach if slant is being used but i want to throw that at um tamina and maybe um uh shafiq if they they had a comment to make here Sorry, what was the question, Omar? So the question is, obviously, we've got these statistics um, where in a mile radius, you've seen an increase in antisocial behaviour. Obviously, we're not sure when these schools did introduce slant. So as we can see, you know, if Forest Gate really introduced it at, uh, uh, later than the statistics actually go. But what is uh, uh, the argument is that it, I believe um, the argument was that it doesn't instill a kind of a wider kind of habitual improvement in the students. What is your comments on that? I think those correlational causation. It was before twenty nineteen. I think uh, David said it dropped. Um, so there's there's a an inference there, but I think it's too limited to indicate anything significant there at all. I take the point, um, but I don't think that it's robust enough to say anything about the influence of the slant. What I can say is that um, the culture that this particular technique um, cultivates in the classroom on a whole school level as well as an individual level means that students feel successful and feel motivated and feel like they can achieve, they can achieve, you know. Um, and I've seen that across schools, the schools that have been using them. 
and feedback, student feedback, even feedback, um, people really, uh, it resonated them because they felt the benefits uh, the benefits of slant and they have they remember what it was like before that and again let me just reiterate is you know slant is there there what did we do before it, it came along we had our very strategies to get a whole class's attention for example you know as a teacher myself I would say something like three two one eyes on me lots of teachers used to use that or you, we've got our different variations um, students had to go from class to class and learn f- what that that particular teacher of that subject um, wanted from them when they called for attention. And for a student with additional needs, for example, that might have been slightly more difficult for them. Um, and for you know your the rest of the students, they would have had to still learn all those different ways. Whereas this particular strategy um, taken up by the whole school meant that it was one strategy one expectation is crystal clear expectations which meant again a degree of feelings knowing what is expected of them um in the community you know it, it's it, it, the the bigger idea it's those pro-social behaviors that it's deliberately teaching that partic- particular students from disadvantaged backgrounds won't necessarily be deliberately taught whereas students from wealthier backgrounds would be would would pick up on those things um and so i think from our communities, something like this teaching pro-social behaviours particularly helps them as well. Okay, um, thank you very much. Um, I know that, uh, Shof, your mic kept coming on. Was there something that you wanted to add here? No, no, I think Tamina covered it. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I'm just going to take this chance to once again say that this uh, say that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Education, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out on this chance. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today now guys we literally have about seven minutes left of this conversation it has been a fantastic conversation um we've obviously we've we've encountered some statistics here and we i guess i guess the argument that tamina's making is that we are trying to uh, by using slant the idea is that you're trying to build up proactive behaviors um i'm going to give you uh i'm just going to pose another question to david here um I think we've kind of exhausted that kind of point there because we've kind of gone a bit back and forwards. And I guess it comes down to your own interpretation of it. Um, I think a big argument for slant is is the use in terms of SEND. Um, I, I, I want to pose you you the question here. Do you maybe have a suggestion on on how how slant could be maybe adapted in these type of situations, David, if you was, I know you're, you're obviously a slant sceptic, but if you was in a school that told you you did have to use slant, do you have any kind of ideas on, on how you could maybe use slant in those type of situations? Do, or do you believe that inherently the system of, of slant and using it as a tool is just flawed and you can't, there's no balance there? Um, so... I think one one question that um, that I had that, that came up uh, just to put in there is when you're teaching slant initially, do you teach what each of the letters are, why each of those is used, what it represents as this 
uh, pro-social interaction? And then do you return to it as you do other learning to reinforce why you track the teacher? What does that mean in wider society and so on? Is that something you do in your classroom? Can I, can I come in here? Yes, please. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And I think um, perhaps we should have discussed the, 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 um, the, the whys behind why we do what we do. You're 100% right. This is something that we're very conscious of. And we encourage our teachers um, often, frequently, to remind students why we do it. So it's not a matter of just follow our instruction. We do try our best as, as frequently as possible to explain the whys. So, um, and I think this is very important. So, and you see over time, but even the students themselves, particularly the older lot, um, when we initially introduced slant, you know, the younger lot, year sevens and the year eights, they were very compliant. Um, but you, we found some challenges and difficulties with the year tens and the year elevens. Um, but with time, as you explain the whys, um, you know, you first of all, there's a trust. There's a trust behind the whole initiative that you foster, and then students they start to get the reason, and they're more compliant. So I think, yeah, I think pushing the why is extremely important for students to understand uh, the reason behind um, not interrupting or listening attentively uh, and or tracking the speaker, if you like. Thank you. Um, in, in answer to your question, Omar, I, I, I just wanted that context. I think for me, um, during lockdown two, I, it was the first time as a teacher I felt I was doing net harm to some of our students. The the enforced being on for live lessons throughout the full day, I, I saw the mental health of some of my students decrease and felt I contributed to that. For me, I do think that there are certain neurodiverse students for whom there is harm caused by the masking that SLANT does. There are, are uh, estimates that up to a million people in the UK, up to 1.2 million people in the UK have undiagnosed neurodiversity. So just because we have somebody with a, an EHCP or with something, it doesn't mean that there aren't other students struggling. And I feel that being me being enforced to follow a specific routine when I believe my behaviour management approach works better for my students, for my teaching style, I don't feel able to to incorporate that into my teaching and still be an effective teacher. I think I'd be doing my students in front of me a disservice by compromising my teaching to meet uh, an edict that I struggle to get on board with anyway. So I don't feel I could work in that school. Now, that is not me saying that I don't see why slant might work for other teachers, why it might be easier for ECTs or might be easier for cover teachers. But it's a compromise I wouldn't want to make in my own practice uh, to do my job how I feel is best. Okay, and uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, I guess I guess that's the whole point of the conversation. Um, Shof, sure, you had something to add. I, we do need to start drawing the conversation to an end here. Uh, we've got two minutes left, so I'm going to give you know uh, Shof, uh, Tamina, and David. If you had last comments to make, um, now's the time to kind of make those last comments. Yeah, I think I think my last last point really is just a reiteration of the the fundamental spirit behind whether it's slant or another cure or we use is is why why are we doing it? The reason we're doing it because when we walk into a classroom, we want to see a conducive, effective learning environment, disruption free. Now, whatever you want to use, whatever strategy you want to use, my critical question is: Do you have a classroom that is disruption free? Because if you don't have a classroom that is disruption free, then the and the question about learning 
is a valid one. How well are they learning? And what is our job as an adult, as teachers in the classroom? We need to facilitate learning. Um, and how can we create an environment for that learning? And, and, and finally, um, I would actually argue back um, in, in, terms of, in terms of teachers who actually left our organization, many of them have come back. And one of the, one of the common complaints they've made is that, look, they said um, it, 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 the behavior of students in the classroom did not allow me and my hard work to be executed did not allow me to teach properly. And that frustrated me a lot. Okay, that's one of the reasons they have cited for coming back. So again, I will propagate, um, I'll strongly request colleagues to think about if you're not getting the correct environment in the classroom, you need to think how you get that, whether it's using slant or any other strategy. Of course, there are many strategies you know, out there. Um, as long as you have the environment, fair enough. Okay, I'm just gonna, I, I, Tamina, I do wanna give you, if you could be really quick, I'll give you a chance to have your last say before I give it back to David, who was our official guest um, today. So I do want to give him a chance to have maybe the last word here. Um, to me, do you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, 10 seconds. If you want to see Slant in action in an organic way, come visit Forest Gate School. We've got a school leaders meeting coming up as well. Open morning. In, um, I'll, I'll post it at some point in the next term. It's coming up. So come and visit. Um, if you can't make it, get in touch and you can see Slant in action if you want to be convinced or otherwise. That's it from me. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much, Tamina. And David, one last closing. Um, I'll give you the chance to have a last closing um, comment here. I just wanted to say thank you for putting the show on because I think uh, Edu Twitter can sometimes get a bit fraught with only 140 characters to try and get nuance across. So having this opportunity to explore it in more depth is really appreciated. And I really appreciate hearing all the other contributors. Um, thank you very much, David. And uh, thank you, Tamina and Shof. If you wanted to come on at any point to be um, a guest on the show, you're more than welcome. This has been um, the Sunday social here today. And again, we've left with the question, um, Slant, engaging minds or mandatory listening? That's your chance to think that through. We have just very last point had Paul Foster here in the comments. Um, he's done a little poll. And it's come out that most people are encouraging him to use Slant in his class next year. That's maybe a little closing thought there. Um, guys, thank you very much. I hope you have enjoyed the show. Thank you. What a fantastic show. Our next show is at 1pm. Join us on our website, ttradio.org. We're leading the education conversation. See you there. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.